Good morning. It's Sunday, April 18th, 2021. This week, we're going to ask, what if there's no pessimism? Christians who maintain a firm faith can nevertheless fall into a functional form of doubt, which is pessimism. But the resurrection of Jesus rules out such a way of life. We get to live outside of the box, outside of the walls of the grave. With a risen Christ, there's no conflict anymore between obedience and joy. You can follow along with the order of service as it appears on the screen in front of you, or you can download a PDF copy of this Sunday's worship folder, print it off at home, and follow along that way. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let us pray. O God, by the humiliation of your Son, you lifted up this fallen world from the despair of death. By his resurrection to life, grant your faithful people gladness of heart and the hope of eternal joys. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The reading is from Acts chapter 3, verses 11 to 20. Peter urges the crowd to repent and turn to God, promising full and free forgiveness. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man to walk again? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The psalm of the day is Psalm 150, a responsive reading. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Holy Gospel is Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 49. Repentance and forgiveness are preached on the basis of Jesus' resurrection. 
While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ.
It's no secret some people are just too skeptical to believe the gospel. The idea that a person could really be dead and then really come back to life again just doesn't fit with what their mind says is possible. But as you've heard me explain before in sermons and classes and workshops, there's a lot to be said in defense of the historical reality of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. The gospel is strong enough to conquer skepticism. We know this. But there's another reason people don't believe the gospel, and it's not because it doesn't fit what their mind says is possible in the world they observe. It's because the gospel doesn't fit with what their heart believes is possible in the life they lead. The problem for many people isn't skepticism, it's pessimism. Now, I don't mean these people who are always walking around with a furrowed brow or always assuming the worst will happen. That's not what I mean here. But I do think it's certainly true that over time, many people, even those who might not be considered pessimists, do set expectations and form habits that, frankly, don't take into account the implications for life that the radical new logic of the resurrection has revealed. Do you think there's a chance, then, that pessimism is the Easter doubt you fall into? Have you ever considered that pessimism might be a spiritual problem? That maybe approaching the Christian life with all the enthusiasm of a five-year-old poking at her broccoli isn't exactly what Jesus had in mind for you when he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave for your life? Thankfully, one of the things Jesus demonstrated after his resurrection is that the gospel can handle not only skepticism, but pessimism too. You see, Jesus does more than open minds. He opens hearts. He shows us what it can look like if there's no pessimism. Now, if you're like me, you probably have been amazed at accounts like this one from Luke chapter 24, the one we read today, because Jesus always seems to just appear out of thin air in the middle of locked rooms. It's pretty wild stuff, really, but because I'm always focusing on the big dramatic stuff, like appearing in locked rooms, I often overlook the small yet significant things that Jesus says or even does in his post-resurrection appearances. I want you to pay attention today to an easily overlooked detail in the gospel. Jesus appears and brings a word of peace to his frightened and frazzled followers, and then and look what he does. He asks two questions. He says, Why do doubts rise in your minds? In other words, what's with all your skepticism? But he also says, why are you troubled? In other words, what's with all your pessimism? You see, Jesus isn't only concerned with unbelief. He's concerned about what I guess you and I could call underbelief. If skepticism is an overt and stated thing, pessimism is subtle and understated. It's a functional kind of doubt. And it can be really hard to overcome. We often give it nice-sounding names to kind of hide it. We'll say, well, you know, we're just being realistic, or I'm just practicing good stewardship. In spite of the fact that, most, that the most pessimistic man in Jesus' parable of the talents is the one the king rejected for being a bad steward. Sometime, sometimes we'll actually import into the church the kind of cynicism and fatalism that's needed to get ahead in a cutthroat business or in a corrupt government, as if, as if Jesus never said, do not let your hearts be troubled. We kind of just bring it all in. And before long, we create a culture in which obedience to God is wrongly pitted against joy. 
as if joy is simply extra credit in the Christian life rather than what it really is, a command God has given us that has been fulfilled in the joy of the resurrection. I read an author once who called this the avoidance ethic. In the avoidance ethic, the goal is to keep something bad from happening. And of course, the most effective way to keep something bad from happening is to keep anything from happening in the first place. Now, that kind of pessimism is the opposite of what the Bible teaches to be the essence of the Christian life. We're not here to freak out at the possibility of something bad happening. We're here to be proactive and abundant in doing good. Jesus' words teach us this, but so do his actions. As strange as it sounds, we're free to enjoy being a Christian and free to be proactive in doing good, free to relax, free to set aside our pessimism, all because, I think, because Jesus sat down and ate some broiled fish. I mean, I just, I just love this part of the details. The man has recently accomplished what cannot be surpassed, what cannot be fully appreciated in a single lifetime, what would overturn empires and reshape global society for good and for the better. He, he blew the doors off death by his own death and resurrection. Everything has changed. Everything has changed in the biggest possible way. God and mankind are reunited. God's creation is going to be restored. I could keep talking and talking and talking about how big this is, and yet he is just so laid back about it. He just wants dinner. He has redeemed fallen humanity. He has restored creation to its creator. He has crushed the last enemy, and he interrupts all the nervous chatter about it and says, actually, I wouldn't mind something to eat. And the disciples, whose heads are all still spinning, have this epic, earth-shattering spiritual experience of handing Jesus a piece of fish, of feeding their friend a meal. There's nothing frantic. No one's setting their hair on fire. There's no hand-wringing. Jesus just needs a snack. That's all because, you know what? He's got this. And he's got you. When he said on the cross, it is finished, he wasn't lying. And when he says to this day, peace be with you, he means it. The risen Lord Jesus, he lives and he reigns. He knows what's happened in your life. And he's got it under control. He knows what's happened at your church. And he's ruling over that too. He's aware of the trouble in your society. And to this day, no one has any authority in this world except that which Jesus has given them. So you and I could go on and continue wringing our hands in the functional doubt of pessimism. Or we can see Jesus ruling over it all. And you and I could live in the light of the resurrection. We can feed our friend a meal. We can get after the joy of living when you know that Jesus lives too. That's what life looks like if there's no pessimism. Amen. Now the peace of God, which passes all understanding... Guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Lord God, in your presence we find fullness and joy, and by your right hand, Christ Jesus, you win and deliver peace forevermore. In the midst of this world's sin and sorrows, give us peace in the knowledge of his salvation and confident hope in the resurrection of the dead. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, by the incarnation of your Son and the reconciliation of his cross, you have made us your children and gathered us into your holy church. 
Sustain the preaching of your holy word and its message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name among us and all the nations of the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Give peace, Lord, to our homes and enliven them by Christ's resurrected life. Let the forgiveness of sins reign among husband and wives, parents and children. Assure those who live alone that they too are your children, upheld by your right hand. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Almighty God, preserve our nation and its leaders, especially our president, our governor, and all those who make and administer laws. Preserve order and decency in this fallen world by their hands and restrain the sins and deceptions of the lawless that we may practice righteousness while awaiting eternal pre- the eternal peace promised in Christ's wounds alone. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Gracious Father, as your Son's wounds brought gladness and peace to the troubled disciples, give your presence and comfort to the troubled in our midst. Comfort all those who weep with the blessed joys of Easter morning. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by your Son's crucifixion all sins have been blotted out. Send us now the blessed refreshment of his bodily presence in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And make us fit partakers in repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. All these things and whatever else you know that we need, grant us, Father, for the sake of him who died and rose again and now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen. 